When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be forsaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God was prom had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, 
Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm grateful this morning that we have a word given to us by God that speaks, speaks to us. We're going to talk about that this morning, the fact that we serve a God who speaks, God who communicates with us. One of the questions this morning I'd like for you to consider is, in light of God speaking, are you an available listener? Are you expecting to hear from Him? And not just on Sunday morning. But as we're reading here in Acts 2, and as we began Acts 2 last week, The day of Pentecost has fully come. And so, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, we saw the evidence of the arrival last week, and we're going to see the immediate response to this evidence today in verses 5 through 13 is what we'll be looking at this morning in the time that we have together. I was appreciative of the prayer Scott gave this morning, and I do hope and pray that we are ready to hear what the Lord would intend to teach each one of us today. We have opportunity again to do that with the word open before us. I'd like to begin with some scriptures to kind of help us think through our end of hearing and listening, and also God's end of speaking. Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing. Not just any hearing, hearing by the word of God. Luke 8, 18, Jesus instructs, and he says, take heed how you hear. Revelation, if you recall the study that we went through last winter, Revelation 2 and 3 on numerous occasions in those letters to the churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine, And does them. It's like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. Conversely, he who hears these words and does not do them. It's like a foolish man who builds his house upon sand. Deuteronomy 6, familiar passage, begins. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 169 says, Give me understanding according to your word. We see throughout scripture that God is the one who gives understanding. He's the one who gives wisdom. And we're called to ask for that wisdom in James chapter 1. And that same Psalm 119, 161 and 162, the psalmist says, My heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice in your word as one who finds great treasure. 
Church, that only happens when there's a transformed heart. Rejoicing in his word. The entrance of your word, Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. This word that we have provides understanding for us. Ezekiel the prophet, chapter 11, 19 through 21. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they, that, here's why, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Notice it doesn't just say so that they'll know them, but tax on do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. He goes on and says, I will put my spirit within you. We're seeing this actually come to fruition here in, in Acts chapter 2. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Jeremiah 32 says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Forwarding to the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, speaking of that Holy Spirit, John says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. And you might remember in John's gospel, as we were looking through John's gospel, and Jesus was speaking, reminding him of the Spirit to come. In John 14, 22, Judas, not Iscariot, says to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, capital W, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see the pattern and the testimony of Scripture is this. God speaks. God communicates with His people. And maybe we've taken that for granted. I hope and pray this morning as we look at this text in Acts 2... We'll see afresh the importance of God speaking, the importance of God communicating, the importance of listening and hearing what God has to say. See, he is a God who communicates with his people. And from the beginning, God has been speaking. Let there be light. And there was light. Hebrews 11 Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what? By the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The pattern in the Bible is that God speaks. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, God speaks. He spoke to Adam in the beginning. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Samuel in the early morning hours. He spoke to his prophets, putting his words in their mouths to proclaim his message for a particular people, for a particular time, to accomplish his specific purposes. In the Gospels, we see God communicating with man by sending his one and only Son. God the Son came down to earth in the form of man, 
to personally speak the words of, of the Father. You see, all that he did, every word that he spoke was guided and directed by the Father. Jesus communicated exactly what the Father desired. Jesus went to the cross, and even there he communicated God's own unique love toward man, taking upon himself the sins of the world in his own flesh. The communication did not end at the cross, because just as he said, he was raised three days later, and communicated via the angels at the tomb. He is not here. He is risen just as he said he would. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus communicated to his disciples what would happen if he departed. He was communicating about the Holy Spirit, about the Helper, about this Comforter to come. He would be the everlasting communication channel of God. John 14, 6, in fact, says that the Holy Spirit would be given to abide with you forever. The means of communicating after Jesus left would be different. God would continue to speak. But his base of communications, if you will, would now be inside those who are his. His communication would come even closer. See, through the Spirit, God was going to indwell the very hearts of men. Praise the Lord for that. A few weeks back, Kevin, Ralph, and I, we had the opportunity to go to Cleveland and, and hear the word preached. There was a particular message there. It had five points. It was a passage on Ezekiel chapter 1. I believe those five points are instructive even here in light of what we're reading in Acts 2. Let me just give you the points. I won't preach the sermon. I'll just give you the points. I, I believe the points are relevant. Okay? Here they are. Number one, God is not like us. Number two, God is all-powerful and wise. Number three, God is not limited to circumstances. Praise the Lord for that. Number four, God initiates. And we see here in Acts 2, he sends the Spirit, right? On the day of Pentecost, he's sending. In conjunction with the Father, he's sending the Spirit. Number five, God communicates. And what we see right here is he is speaking in Acts 2 through his available Spirit-filled vessels, the wonderful works of God. How has God communicated with you? I mean, we're reading in the Bible about God speaking. We've seen and heard some scriptures about God speaking. What about you? Now, I'm not talking about some voice out of the air. How has God, as you've read the word, how has he spoke to you? What is he teaching you? As a child of God, do you see the countless ways he's communicated with you in the past? Do you see how he communicates his love toward you? Because the Bible says that while you were yet a sinner, Christ, God's son, died for you. That's what the Bible says in Romans. God has communicated his great love toward you, and yet, here's the question. How, how often do you tend to communicate with the Lord? Do you desire to communicate with the Lord, church? Is that a desire? To spend time with the Lord? Or is it perhaps a burden to you? Oh, and you would never verbalize that, I'm sure. But operationally, perhaps, that's the way you've lived your life. It's taking time that I, I'd rather have that time to do something else. 
really. This relationship with the Lord. Spending time with the Lord. You see, communication is necessary, is it not? In the context of relationship. Let's throw some easy examples. Marriage. Oh, yeah, we're, we're married, but we just don't like to talk to each other. What? Really? So you, in other words, you just live in the same house. Well, what about your workplace? You've got a team that you work with. You know, I like what I do, but I just, I don't like to talk to the other guys in my group. You have, to work, you have to work with them. You have to talk to them. You have to be able to communicate effectively with them in order to get your project done. Well, what about the church? Now, I don't mind coming on Sunday morning and, you know, hearing, being a part of the service. And Boy, there's some people. I just, I just don't care to talk to them. I want to remind you that if you are in Christ, and you are a part of Christ's church, the body is connected one to another. That's what the word says, Ephesians chapter 4. And so since we're connected, it's imperative that we learn to communicate with one another. You might not like something someone else says. Talk to them. Practice the Ephesians 4.15. You know, I love that principle. I hold that principle. I carry that principle around with me wherever I go. You know what? It sits in the context of church life. It's, in the original, it's truthing in love. Speak the truth in love. And hey, let me, while we're on this, I'm going to say one other point. Stop feeling sorry for yourself if someone is speaking the truth to you in love. Because perhaps they're not trying to squash you. Perhaps they're trying to help you and edify you and build you up. And here's another biblical term. Exhort you daily in light of the day to come. That's what we're to be doing, exhorting one another, putting the word forth and saying, hey, brother. And when you get confronted by the truth of the word, how do you respond to that? You see, communication and how we handle communication and even our own relationship with the Lord, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a believer. Think about it. Think about it for just a moment. I'm a believer in Jesus. But I have no desire to spend time communicating with the Lord about matters in my life. I can handle it just fine. How ridiculous is that? Doesn't make any sense. How, how do you know whether you love God? Let me just ask you some questions. These are instructive questions intended to help each one of us, myself included. Do you delight in your relationship with God? Do you delight in that relationship through Christ? Do you love His Word? Do you treasure it? Do you hide it in your heart? Is the Word something that you just, you just can't wait to read it? Do you read it with expectancy to hear from God in the pages of His Scripture? Do you love your brother or sister in the Lord? Are you committed to Christ's church or is attending sufficient for you does your heart break for the things of God are you primarily concerned about the things of that, that God himself is concerned about is that primary does his agenda take priority in your life are you concerned at all with presenting yourself wholly before God are you operating by faith and not sight right now? Are you growing in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? 
Are you in increasing measure looking more like Jesus or the world? What does your prayer time look like before the Lord? Are you taking actions, talking about what we talked about in the end of Acts chapter 1, are you taking actions having communicated with God on the matter? Is your life different because of the cross? What does your life communicate about the cross of Jesus Christ? Is it operationally a message of foolishness or is it in your life the power of God? Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. Would anyone know that you're a new creation in Christ? Do you live as a pilgrim, a sojourner, realizing that this world is not your home? Do you think much about your heavenly citizenship? Does the return of Jesus impact how you live today? You see, God, right here in Acts 2, he's drawing back the curtain once again. He's revealing himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. The new community, the beginning of Acts 2, the new community was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the text says that they began to speak. Verse 11 tells us what they were speaking. We'll get to that in just a moment. But it ought not be a surprise that these people were speaking once the Holy Spirit comes. You see, the Holy Spirit speaks not on his own accord, but only the things given to him by Jesus. When a spirit-filled child of God speaks, he's to communicate the things of God. As one writer said, I was reading this week, I, I like the way he worded it. We ought to be about the business of exposing the word of God. Letting people know what the word of God says. There's too many people who are most concerned about letting others hear what they have to say. How about we start letting people and exposing people to what God has to say? See, if we have the spirit in us, that will happen. If we come to understand and know the ministry and role of the Holy Spirit, he points us to the very things of Christ. So our speaking then ought to look a lot like that if the Spirit of Christ is in you. So in this new community, when they begin to speak, Notice, they do so only after being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they were told to wait for the promise of the Father. And when He comes, He'll bring power from on high. And with that power, the disciples would then spend their days being witnesses to Jesus. That's what they were called to. So the global mission... Of God, his heart for the world, seen right here in the text we're looking at today, 5 through 13. Pentecost provides the perfect timing for what God is about to do. It provides the perfect backdrop for communicating once again with his people. The response to God speaking through this new community. Notice the response of those that gather. Watch how man responds to God speaking. And ask the question, is the response in Acts 2, 5 through 13, is it any different than today's response perhaps would be in 2012? Look at verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now Luke is about to, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, record the nations represented at Pentecost. And he'll get to that in verses 9 through 11. Here, right here, there's context given prior to the unveiling of the response from the crowd. The reason such a multitude gathers is due to the large number of Jews in town for the Pentecost feast. This is the second of three annual feasts required by the law for all Jews to attend. 
the nations were in town for the celebration of Pentecost. You see from Luke's perspective, that is from the human end of things as he's writing, the people present in Jerusalem at this time comprised every nation under heaven. The Jews, many of whom had been scattered during the exile time, they came on this particular day expecting to do what they had done at previous Feast of Weeks, Feast of Harvests, or Pentecost, to celebrate and give thanks to God for His goodness, for providing the harvest. It was at this time that the world made Jerusalem its dwelling. And you know, I was thinking about that idea and how even here in Indiana... There's an annual event. It's termed the, the greatest spectacle in racing where literally people from all over the world come to Speedway to watch these cars go around in a circle. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a race fan, but I know that, that the world watches that race. That's a big deal. The world comes in fact, this past season, much of the world came and much of the world was watching here in Indianapolis as the Super Bowl was played here in Indianapolis. I'm reminded that here in just a couple weeks, the world's dwelling is going to be in London for the 2012 Summer Olympics. There's an estimated 205 countries taking part in some 300 events. In this year's games. And Great Britain is playing host to the world. Jerusalem at Pentecost played host to the nations. Look at verse 6. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. When the sound occurred. The sound of the new community speaking in Acts 2 verse 4. Or the sound that filled the whole house where the new community was sitting in Acts 2 verse 2. I tend to believe it was the sound that filled the house. But either way, it's a supernatural sound. The crowd hears. For the Holy Spirit has now come, and the people are speaking as the Holy Spirit gives them utterance. That's what it says at the end of chapter 2, verse 4. Notice the first reaction to the crowd coming together. They heard the sound, and the text says they were confused. Why? The text gives the answer. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. The confusion of those gathered among the nations is one of hearing. What they were hearing was confusing to them, not because the languages being spoken were fuzzy or unclear. No, it was quite the opposite. The languages heard on this day, when the nations gathered in Jerusalem, they were hearing their own language proclaimed by this new community. Confusion bewilderment, this is the first response that's recorded. Shortly afterward in verse 7, the text says, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And the attention quickly shifts to the people speaking. See, they heard something initially, and they were confused about what they heard, because what they heard was coming back to them and landing on their ears in their own native tongue. In fact, you're going you're gonna to see that three times. L Luke, as he's carried along by the Spirit, moved by the Spirit, wants to make this point very clear. What they heard was a language in their own native tongue. Verse 6, verse 8, verse 11 tell us that. 
now they're amazed and marveled. They're talking to each other about the people that are speaking. They start exchanging words. The group we're hearing, aren't they Galileans? And you know, I, I, I stopped at that point because I was thinking, well, man, what's, you know, it must mean something to be a Galilean. That sounds like a, you know, that sounds like a harsh word. Aren't, I mean, like, pfft, these people aren't supposed to be speaking these words. But you know, as you look at the scripture, and you can see some, some testimony, perhaps of the idea here. Well, at the end of Mark's gospel in chapter 14, you might remember the story where Peter denies the Lord. Not once, not twice. On that third time, the text says in Mark 14, verse 70, a little later, those who stood by said to Peter once again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech, your accent shows it. Now, that's kind of interesting. So there in that text, they were able to identify Peter as a Galilean because of his accent. Keep in mind that the people that were gathering from the nations, these were, this was an annual event. It's possible that many of these people who gathered and heard the sound knew Peter and knew the Galileans, knew the folks of the new community. Three times a year they were required by law to come. So it's not unlikely that they knew these people, at least some of the people in that new community. Or what about John chapter 1, verse 46? Remember, Philip goes and he finds Nathaniel. Remember that? And he tells him of Jesus of Nazareth, the one the prophet spoke of. And here's the response from Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Wow. See, Galilee, that Nazareth sat in the, in the region of Galilee. Can anything good come out of there? What about a little later in John's Gospel in chapter 8? Nicodemus, remember who he had already had a, a, a private conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3. Now he shows back up again at the end of John chapter 8, 50 to 52. Nicodemus says, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? And the religious leaders that were there and hearing what Nicodemus had to say, they were, they were already pretty hot under the collar because they had sent some soldiers to go get Jesus and bring him back. And the soldiers come back minus Jesus. And they're like, what are you doing? Do you believe in him too? And so the religious leaders are very upset at this particular point in time. And they respond to Nicodemus and say, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Not too many words, positive words about these Galileans. Simple folk. Uneducated. The confusion comes about because of what they heard. But then amazement and marveling occur at the people speaking. Galileans shouldn't be doing this, should they? One writer says that in the eyes of the Jews in Jerusalem, Galilee was a culturally backward area of Palestine inhabited by uneducated people. Yet these Galileans communicate God's truth in numerous languages. There's a principle. Couldn't help but include it in Corinthians. It's because you say it, 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 it speaks of how God works, of how God operates. Corinthians chapter 1, 27 through 29. But God chose what? He chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. Seems like Galileans were in that group. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That Here's why. Here's why he did it this way. Here it is. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why God did it that way. You see, when God 
communicates. He can do so however he pleases. He's God. Maybe some of us need to be reminded of that today. He's God, and you're not. He's in control, you're not. He can use the lowly, he can use the weak, he can use the despised things of this world. You see, the same God who communicated his arrival into the world by way of a lowly manger. Why would he come this way? That doesn't make any sense. It's the same God who communicated his love to the world through a cross. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. If you're going to communicate love towards somebody, why would you go and die on a cross? That's what he did. That's why the message of the cross is foolishness to those of the world. But it's the power of God to those who are being saved. And now at Pentecost, with the nations gathered, God is communicating his wonderful works through a group of lowly, despised Galileans. I mean, couldn't he have selected a better group of representatives to go about speaking? Perhaps, but this is God's way. Man looks on the outward, right, oftentimes? Remember that? Samuel 16? Samuel goes and he says, oh, that must be the next king. And God says, no, 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 no. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And so we keep reading in Acts 2, 8. They're speaking, continuing to speak. And how is it that we hear, here it is again, each in our own language in which we were born. The text doesn't tell us how many languages we're talking about here. We don't know. From the list given in verses 9 through 11... I tend to believe there were lots of different dialects spoken. But three times in this text, the Holy Spirit emphasizes that the multitude hears the spoken words in the language in which they were born. This is no unknown language, but a language understood by the hearer. The new community spoke... And the multitude heard. Yet they were at this point a bit unclear on a couple things. First of all, how is it that they could hear in their own native tongue? How is that? How's that happening? And secondly, how is it that this group of Galileans could do such a thing? Well, to use a phrase we spoke of last week, I believe what we're reading about right here is, is another one of those God moments. Only God could orchestrate the events described here. And no doubt, as we think about languages, there were some common languages. Those that were coming from the, the Greco-Roman world at the time, no doubt Greek would have been a common language for many who were gathered. Aramaic. Latin, Hebrew, may have been some familiar ones, perhaps. But we're talking about many different languages from which these people came. And we're going to see from where they came in just a moment. You see, the nations gathered together in Acts 2. And they're about to learn something on this particular Pentecost day. God is a communicator and he desires for each one to hear what he has to say. God desires that people would hear what he has to say. At Pentecost, God tore down the ethnic barrier, the language barrier, the race barrier, whatever barrier you want to put up. He demolished those barriers and made it possible on this day. And even yet today, for each one to hear what he had to say. Keep in mind, the nations were present 
and they were hearing the wonderful works of God being proclaimed in their own language. Look at the roster of the nations represented. Verse 10, 9, 10, 11. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. If you have a map, I would have loved this morning, it would have been a great visual to have this big world map right up here in front so everybody could have seen it. Okay, but if you have Bible maps in the back, you can look, okay? And, and the list begins in the east, right? Um, so the, the, the Elamites, the Parthians, okay, the Medes, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, kind of in that same general area, Judea. We don't know if Judea just in and of itself or Judea encompassing even a wider range of territory all the way up through Syria, perhaps. Okay, Judea. Cappadocia. Pontus. In Asia. Phrygia. Pamphylia. These regions in Asia Minor. If you look on the map, these are near the areas where Paul went on his missionary journeys. Egypt. In the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, visitors from Rome came. That's a long trip if you look on the map. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. This was the list. There are a few languages I, I, I would say are, are represented here. And they heard the wonderful works of God being proclaimed in their own native tongue. This group of Galileans. The attention, it seems, at the end of verse 11, shifts to now the content of what they heard. Right? We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's what they heard. They were confused at first concerning what they heard. Amazement and marveling follows as they consider who is speaking. And in Acts 2.12, they were all amazed and perplexed. Perplexed is another descriptor there. Saying to one another, they, so they were talking again one, one another, had another conversation. What, whatever could this mean? What could this mean? You see, hearing the wonderful works of God proclaimed in their own native tongues, proclaimed by, of all people, a group of Galileans, these things didn't quite add up. They were, they were amazed, they were perplexed about the situation and started talking amongst themselves again. What could this mean? In the pieces, as we're reading, the pieces are coming together. The, the pieces are, are falling in place. Peter, in just a moment is going to stand once again to speak. And carried along by the Holy Spirit, he is going to explain what all this means. Do you see how the Lord in his speaking is setting the people up to hear exactly what he wants them to hear? You know what? He does that in your life too. If you, if you take inventory sometimes and you kind of look back and see the track that he's taking you on, and see the path, maybe, that he's taken you on. And you see the, the channel. He's, he's brought you in the path of other people. And maybe, perhaps, some other people have spoken truth and life into you. That's not an accident. He's put you there for a particular reason, for a particular purpose, for that particular time. And here, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the table is getting ready. Peter is about to stand and speak. One writer says that the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ was the climax toward which the Holy Spirit was building. You see, God is laying the groundwork for the message of the gospel to go forward. The Holy Spirit declares Jesus. Let's remember that the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene not waving his own banner. In a few weeks, when those Olympians go walking in to the arena, they're going to come in. There's going to be one person. You watch. There'll be one person carrying a flag from that country. They represent that country. 
and the flags are all going to look a little different. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, the Holy Spirit is not waving His own banner. The Holy Spirit is pointing toward Christ. If we read the Scripture and we see the role of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the main attraction is not the Holy Spirit. The main attraction is Jesus. You see, He died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised to life that you might walk in newness of life. He ascended triumphantly to return to the Father, and yet He promised not to leave His people on their own. He promised another counselor, another helper, and that upon His departure... He would send the Spirit to dwell within His people. So Jesus' ministry, Jesus' presence continues now through the Holy Spirit. He fills each one who believes in the name of Jesus and receives Him as Lord and Savior. And we'll see in a moment, repenting. There's repentance involved here. The Holy Spirit is not the main attraction because the Bible clearly says that he speaks not on his own authority but is about the ministry of declaring Christ. He is about communicating the message of Jesus. The wonderful works of God are being communicated. The languages heard that day at Pentecost would have been numerous according to the representative nations listed here. In the text. What was happening was of God, and the human response was confusion, amazement, marveling, perplexed. Look at verse 13. Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. In response to the question in Acts 2, verse 12, you're going to see two responses. The first comes right here in verse 13. The second response, a refuting, if you will, comes starting in verse 14 by Peter. We'll get to that next week. For now, though, look at the first response. Notice the manner in which they respond to what's going on. It says, mocking saying they are full of new wine. Some. Some said this. Not all of them. Some of them. There were some in the group who said this. Mocking all the situation at hand. Affixing the Holy Spirit's arrival and His speaking through the new community. Affixing that to an episode of drunkenness among the new community. And you know, the response here to the movement of God is, honestly, it's not surprising. It still happens today, doesn't it? When God's word goes forth, when God communicates his message to those in the world, it oftentimes falls on deaf ears. Instead of recognizing God, Instead of hearing what he has to say, many today are busy manufacturing their own gods. They're more concerned about self. And when something doesn't quite fit their understanding, the recourse oftentimes is simply to redefine. Let's redefine. Redefine the message so that it fits into my understanding of how things ought to work. Have you participated in redefining the things of God? When God speaks in His Word, do you hear and do or hear and redefine according to your own liking? When the Holy Spirit shows up, do you think you have Him figured out? In other words, have you perhaps boxed in the Holy Spirit in such a way that He is confined only to your limited way of thinking. You know, when I read what Jesus says, speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, 
We cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And then listen to what Jesus says. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, when the people ask Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 26, who then can be saved? Remember the rich man, he goes away sad. And they're asking, who, who can be saved then? Jesus says, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Even a group of Galileans speaking the wonderful works of God, it's possible. Even a multitude hearing the wonderful works of God in their own native language, it's possible. Even your own salvation. Let's put it right there in your lap. You see, on your own, it's impossible. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. Friends, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And that not of your own, lest any of you should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 says that. Peter is going to expound on these wonderful works of God, explain what they are in Jesus Christ. The nations are hearing God the Holy Spirit through this new community of believers in Jerusalem. And in the days ahead, those in Jerusalem are going to hear and see. They're not just going to hear. They're going to also see the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of this new community. It's that reference back to John chapter 7. Jesus is speaking about the evidence. Here's what the Holy Spirit in you is going to look like. It's going to be like the streams of living water flowing out of you. And that's going to be put on display as we continue through the book of Acts. And you know what I see here in Acts 2, 5 through 13? It's groundwork being laid for effectively communicating the gospel. The power from on high had come. And with it, the new community of believers was commissioned to be witnesses to Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. And, and what a great fit, right? What a great fit. Their mission was to speak and testify of Jesus, Acts 1.8. And the Holy Spirit in them would remind them always of Jesus, pointing them toward the very words of Jesus, giving them words to speak when thrown in prison, shining light on the truth of Jesus when confronted by the governing authorities. What a great fit. Isn't that wonderful, the way God orchestrated it? Reading Acts 2, 5 through 13, might perhaps turn your attention back to the first book in the Bible. It did mine. I'd like to end there this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, or literally one lip. All right, let's pause just a moment. You've just read verse 1, Genesis chapter 11. We've just read Acts 2. We've just heard what's happening at this day of Pentecost. We just heard the nations, every nation, Luke says, under heaven, the nations have gathered And what they were hearing were these wonderful works of God being spoken in their own native tongue. Here in Genesis chapter 11, the whole earth had one language. Isn't that interesting? One speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, hey, come, come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. So here they go. And they said... Come, let us build ourselves a city. Did you catch that? Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let's build this thing all the way up to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You know, the very thing they were concerned about is the very thing that happened. Look at the next verse. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they, have all, they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. 
Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, capital U, let us. It's the same plural as we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us go down and there, what? Confuse their language. That they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel or confusion. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. You know what I, I, I was reading that and I was looking at Acts 2 and it almost seems like what happened in Genesis 11 is like being flipped upside down here in Acts chapter 2. Because all these nations are coming. All these languages are present. And God, in sending the Holy Spirit, is speaking His Word, uniting the people. In fact, this is important before we close. A portion of Revelation we've got to sprinkle in here because it's important. Chapter 7, verse 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Listen to the descriptor. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing where? Before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see the word spoken by the Lord this day through the new community in the arrival of the Holy Spirit. These wonderful works of God were pointing all people, all tribes, all nations, all tongues to one Lord, one faith, one spirit. Right? The very things that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. That they were going to... They were going to walk in unity together and the common bond that they had and were going to share from this point forward was Christ and the spirit in them was going to point all of them. Tear down the ethnic walls, the race wall, tear them all down. The thing they were going to have in common was the Holy Spirit in them, Christ in them. And the Holy Spirit was going to point each one of them to Jesus Christ. Church, that's why this message is so important. The walls are being broken down. And so the voices that you hear today that are trying to do, trying to scatter, like we're reading here in chapter 11 of Genesis, and the Lord scattered for his particular purpose and reason, did he not? We see the, the whole idea of why they were building in the first place. This was for themselves. Oh, no, no. See, he's given to us and he's spoken to us in such a way that he desires for each one of us in Christ to be about building in the time that we have, not our own city, but looking forward to the building, the city that awaits us in heaven. Looking forward to the time when we get to see Jesus as he is. And in the meantime, the scriptures have called us to be about purifying ourselves just as he is pure. This God who speaks. You may not fully understand. You may not fully comprehend all of what he speaks. But I do believe that's why the Bible in part tells us and calls us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. At the Mount of Transfiguration, those three disciples that were up there with Jesus, they were fearful because of the cloud and fearful because of the events going on. And they heard the voice come out of the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Church. That's the word and the message for us today. Listen 
to him. This God speaks. Let's be willing hearers to what he has to say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do speak to us. That you've not left us as orphans, you've not left us alone, but you've come to us even a bit closer and given to us and sent to us the promise. The Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, our deposit of the inheritance to come. Praise the Lord for that. Father, in the meantime, I pray that we would be attentive listeners to what you have to say. That we would be effective communicators of the gospel and speak those very words that you've given in your holy scripture. That we would expose to other people what you say in the word. Father, teach us, show us, guide us by your Holy Spirit that we might speak your words because we know from your word in Isaiah it says that your word will not return to you void but it will accomplish the very purposes for which it was sent. Oh Lord, I pray we would be about speaking your words. We look forward to seeing the result of that. We look forward to seeing what you'll do through us as we're obedient to speaking Your words. May we long and desire for your words. May we hunger and thirst for those words. May we, as we open your word each day, expect to hear from you. Long to hear from you on what you would have us to do. On what you would have us to say. On where you might have us to go. Oh Lord, I pray that the actions we take, Lord, that they would be in accordance to what your word calls us to be about. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.